This is a reflection of a calling and a walk where Paul is saying, this is how we can help heal a broken world. These family dynamics, these relationships between masters and servants, uh, parents and children. Welcome to the Christ Church Jerusalem podcast, where we seek to gain a better understanding of the Hebraic context of Scripture. We're delighted that you're joining us this week for our latest Bible study episode. Our aim is to equip our listeners to wrestle with and deepen their understanding of the Word of God with a unique perspective that we bring from Jerusalem. Thanks for tuning in. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem for our evening Bible study in the epistle to the Colossians. We're in chapter 3, um, about halfway through, uh, wrestling with and understanding and coming to terms with the call, the, uh, the, the admonition by Paul to walk uh, a Christian life, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. That is something that we all want to do. It's not just to believe in the Messiah, but to actually do the things that he has asked us to do. Now, we've gathered, uh, we're all gathered here in the name of the Lord, and the way we honor that is by prayer. And so our sister Lauren from sunny South Africa is going to lead us in, uh, in prayer. Let's bless the Lord for our time together. Lord, we come before you with great thanksgiving and with deep worship. It's the only way to approach you is to come and say thank you and to come and say you are worthy. And we want to say thank you too, Lord, for the way in which you give us your word and you interpret your word by the power of your Holy Spirit who indwells us. We see that in Colossians, it is all about you. You are reconciling all things. Everything is reconciled in your flesh that you gave for, to, to us, for us. And we want to say to you that we realize that it, if, if it were not for you, we wouldn't even be here. So thank you for your word. Thank you for the deliberations. Thank you for those who are listening. Thank you for those who will catch up and listen. Thank you for those who you will anoint to carry forth understanding and wisdom tonight. We just give it all to you. Every aspect of this broadcast we give to you. And we want to say to you again, with great love, thank you. Thank you, Yeshua. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Let's read from verse 12. Okay. Well, I'll read from verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12 to the end. I'm reading from a ESV, although technically it doesn't really matter. They're all, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. All right. So put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive one another, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts for God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by a way of eye service as people pleases, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Wow, that says the Lord. That's actually quite strong when you think about it. So here we go. Um, Paul uh, is now continuing in his, this is how, or, or uh, a, a, a good expression of a walk that is worthy of the Lord, encompassing a community, uh, families, um, work relationships, servant relationships, which is very complicated. Um, but uh, let's see, see, see how that uh, bears out for us. Okay, as is again our tradition, based on a literal reading of the text, what's there that jumps out at you? Is there anything that uh, you always notice? Or is there something there that you um, have noticed for the very, very first time? It's one of those passages that because it talks about relationships between men and women, particularly in our modern day, it's uh, a passage that um, people often not, don't want to, uh, to talk about, probably because we take it out of context. Context is everything, especially in that particular passage. Thanks, Arie. Yes, context is king, as they say. He's, he's, he's addressing a fallen world. Uh, all of these instructions of submit and obey and etc. are necessary as a result of sin. They are not originally in the state of uh, bliss of the Garden of Eden. They're conflict resolution mechanisms in a, in a fallen world. Yeah. Not, not God's ideal. Right. So, so here we have something that we, ha we, we put in practice because this is the, the walk, the, the journey that is worthy of the world, okay? Is that something's fallen, our societies are broken, our family breakdowns are, are breaking down, our work relationships have, have caused all kinds of tension. And so to honor the Lord to a community that is broken, this is how we should, uh, we should behave. There's probably some cultural context as well. Uh, we can, in fact, see some changes, and I suspect that God wouldn't give the instructions exactly in this way to uh, modern Western society. Uh, my, my thinking especially is with regard to uh, slaves. 
Slavery was a norm in the Roman Empire. Half the people in the empire were slaves. So it's appropriate to give them instructions on how to get along through life and honor Christ. Right. But in the centuries in the meantime, uh, Christ, through his gospel, has freed the slaves, at least in all of Western civilization where the gospel went. Right. Instructions are no longer necessary. It's one, of, it's one of those strange, not, not strange, it's one of those um, interesting, sad, just poignant parts of history that uh, uh, it was who led the charge against slavery, okay, uh, Christians, who actually also owned slaves, oh, uh, Christians, but not the, they weren't the only ones, okay, non-Christians also owned slaves, let's be 100% clear about that, but people would, would um, actually look for Bible verses to support either side. Uh, does anyone know where the word uh, slave come from? Slav, right? Who are the Slavs? They're Eastern Euro Euro Europeans. Okay, so some of the first uh, people who were not not some of the first, but some of the predominant ones who were creating a language for how to describe servants, uh, they were capturing lots of Slavic peoples. Okay, and um, so. Uh, you know, people forget that um, slaves weren't all black from Africa. Uh, most slaves were actually white, okay, and uh, from from other nations. And, uh, and so we, we, we sometimes color history uh, into color, when perhaps we shouldn't be doing that. Um, so let's have a look at our text and uh, see how practical our lovely apostle is getting. So verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, which is a holy and beloved, which is a delightful way to call a community that isn't always doing exactly the best in terms of perhaps moral or ethical standards, but still to be able to say that they are chosen, they are holy or trying to be, and they are indeed beloved that uh, even, even in amongst some of their walk, which where they fall, they're still beloved by, by God. So put on as a community, compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience, bear with one another. And if someone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony or unity. So what are these characteristics? Well, on the hand, Kate, you've got a, a comment? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's actually just on that second reading. Um... I'm wondering if put on is the right, because we're putting on, it's like putting on a cloak, a mantle. It's, it's, it seems an odd thing to say, you put on kindness, put on uh, humility. Yeah, we, so you, in terms of like on, wearing something. Yes, yeah, so, so it was, we use it as a term of falseness. It's, it's a put on thing. Michelle's translation says clothe, mine says uh, put on, so... Um, not 100% sure exactly what the Greek there says, but if, if people are saying to get dressed in, um, 
if the translations are saying that, I'm going to suggest that the Greek reflects that. But it means putting something on the outside, which is therefore something that you are that you can see. So what is it that something that needs to be seen? What are these actions? Okay, so one thing is they, they could be the fruit of the spirit. Okay, okay. So um, the community has the fruit of the spirit. And if it's the fruit of the spirit, yet the command is put it on. So who's the instigator here? Right? If it's all coming from the spirit, if it's all coming from if it's coming from the Lord, then there can't be a command for you to put it on. Right? Because you just it would just naturally happen. You will be clothed in, but here you're actually getting a, uh, uh, an admonition. You put this on, right? So, so there's this, there's this, remember, we have to, we have to try and remember that in, um, in Hebraic thought, the spirit and the material, they blend together, right? It's, it's not a case of, well, I'll just sit under a tree and, you know, all these magical things will happen to me and I'll get up and I'll be perfect. It's, you actually have to physically walk this out. So you do it together. Um, God creates the garden, but Adam has to work it. Not that Adam planted the garden. No, he just woke up one day and went, oh, my gosh, it's a beautiful place. And God says, yeah, it's not that bad, um, but it does require a little bit of work. So uh, off you go, son, and uh, I'll help you in describing what you've got to do. But uh, so anyway, got three hands raised, and I'll honor all of them. Velma, Sunny Island. It just reminds me of that, that these are the fruits of the spirit that we are supposed to exhibit these in our walk. And then the challenge sometimes is if you're not accepting them, are you actually walking out your faith? Then because you're not behaving in these ways, sometimes you can be the complete opposite. You know, where you're angry or you have no compassion and things like that. You're the complete opposite to everything. Okay. So these are the opposites to the five vices that he's listed before. Anger, wrath, malice, compassion, kindness, humility. Possible. Okay. okay. Uh, Dawn from sunny somewhere where I don't know. Sunny, sunny Abbotsford. BC. Awesome. Right. Okay. This is just a little um, thing. Okay. I, I, I take it as put it on practice until it's part of you. Put it on okay. until it becomes you. You you know you start with a little teeny bit and it's it, it, and it grows in you. So put it on and get with it and let it sink into you and change you. That's how I see it. Okay, all right. Just run that down. Changing you, becoming you. Yeah, just um, practice till you make perfect. Okay, practice to you, mate. Perfect. Okay, nice little phrase. All right. Uh... Just to let you know, I think what it is, is um, from my perspective, as I'm reading this, and it says put on, and I like what everybody said, but I also go back to what Aria said. We're in a fallen world, in a fallen state, and being part, I'm just going to talk from practical experience, being part of a church community. It's very hard within the body to be around a lot of believers who are all different and we jar each other many times. And it's not natural to have all of this fruit, humbleness and meekness. 
So it's something, because we're in a fallen world, our, our natural instinct is to, to get angry, to get frustrated, to, to, to get agitated with people. So I think it's where Paul says is we have to die daily and we have to make, like somebody just said, we have to make this effort to put on these fruits in a, in a sense is come to God and say, Lord, this person is driving me crazy, but I want to do what you want me to do. Help me. And then God fills you with that ability to be able to, to deal with the situation. So it's a constant, you having to go to God and say, Lord, I'm not bearing fruit here. I, I, I'm finding it hard to love this person. I'm finding it hard to be humble because I want to have a position there or something. But to be honest with God about it constantly, and then the Holy Spirit works with you to, to enable you to, to bypass these, these things. Yeah, thanks, Peter. It's, uh, you've said a lot of... Uh very personal and, and, and deep truths. We do live in a fallen world. And so our natural reaction is, and we might even even justify as righteous anger. We get angry at things, at, the, at our workmates, at our situations, at our institutions, at shepherds above us, at the people below us, whatever. And uh, But here is, here is the, the admonition by Paul, put on something else, put on something that actually is the opposite to the way the world is forcing us to be. And, uh, and that is the walk that is worthy of, of the Lord, uh, which, is, which is kind of cool. Great. Well, um, these are, these, these attributes, compassionate, okay, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, these are, as we've discussed, these are things you can see, right? These are things that are actually done. They're not just theological concepts. It's not that someone sits under a tree with a cup of coffee and goes, oh, I think I'll be kind today, and then remains under their tree, in, engages with absolutely no one, and, uh, you know, doesn't phone anyone, doesn't talk to anyone, doesn't send any emails, and, uh, but sits down and goes, yeah, I've been incredibly kind. I don't know who to, but trust me, uh, I've thought about it well. But, uh, you know, these, these, are, these are actually physical actions that have to be done in society. They are social. Right? We always talk about a thing called social justice. We are social justice warriors. social. But you know something about justice? It's always social. Okay? Go live on an island all by yourself, and I dare you, try and figure out what justice is. Okay? You can't have it. Okay? The only way justice works is when there's more than one person. And, uh, and so justice is always social. So it's a complete misnomer to have something where they say this is social justice. All justice is social. Right? We've got to recapture uh, some of the language that's been taken away from us. All right, on the hand, Lisa from sunny Sweden. Uh, speak, uh, everyone, I've done here now, it, it, it's really and go into my heart and I I ask and they thank you for all the contributions. And this social just war, I had I have this all around me also and and, and today I also was in this little war. <laughs> so I, I it's really uh, but it's tough and it takes a lot of energy and so instead of just and sometimes it's hard to be as calm, calm and nice and, <laughs> and uh, 
and not be angry about uh, injustices. <laughs> That's, uh, but Just of go course, for a drive in any of the streets in uh, Israel and you'll, you'll end up getting quite angry very quickly. Yes. <laughs> well, that, that was it. Just some comments. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, it, it's tough. It's a hard thing that it, and it requires the spirit. I guess this is where the pairing comes together. Okay, It's not like we can wake up one day and go, you know what, I'm just going to be happy just because I said so. Right? Or I'm just going to be calm today and very calm to everyone that I meet because I personally said so to myself. It requires uh, the work of the spirit and our participation in it, our desire to, our willingness to submit to, our willingness to be guided by uh, all these, these, these things. It's a partnership. And these things which we are discussing in verses 12 to 14, which Paul sums up as, uh, as binding everything together in unity, Unity is a behavior. It's not theological. There are theological mm -hmm. uh, important things, and we'll get to those in a minute. But what we're discussing is a unity based upon a behavior, and a behavior which is a fruit of the Spirit. Teresa, sunny London. Yes, it is sunny, but there's a cold north wind. Um, I think one of the really hard things is to you forgive somebody and you keep saying, Lord, I forgive them and pray for them even, but to not talk about the hurt and to not continually talk about it to somebody else and then somebody else and then somebody else. You know, when it's a big thing that stung you, I think that is the big challenge. And then it kind of, because I often do that, I'll often say, and, you know, this is what happened and they really hurt me. And then I think, oh, my goodness, I'm back to square one, really. And it's that I think is really, really challenging. And yet it's what we have to do. I mean, when I read R.T. Kendall's book on total forgiveness, I mean, I, and I'd heard the sermons anyway, um, the thing that got me most was a bit where he said, you forgive them and then you, 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 you don't talk about it. And that was the bit I think was really hard because if someone's deeply hurt you, it's hard not to talk about it as you're working out that healing. Yeah. From of the pain. So yeah. Yeah, his book is actually quite good on this, and yeah. uh, it's very challenging. It's yeah. very challenging, and um, and it, it for me personally, it 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 relate, relates to um the guarding of the tongue, is that yes. uh you know the 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 ability it's very it's very hard to um to shut up, <laughs> yeah. uh, where you know you just want to. You want to get out your frustrations or the things that the, the, the pain, which are real. Mm. But he, he doesn't say they're not real, but it's a it's a it's an el, another one of those elements of self-control. Mm. Um, yeah, hard. it is very hard. And uh, and so here we're being challenged. We're challenged being, being challenged by Paul. Paul is writing to a community who he has never met, he's never met us. Okay, so this letter also is, is, is we're receiving it in roughly the same sort of idea that um, we need to um, have be compassionate with each other and kind. We need to have, put on meekness and patience with each other, unbelievably hard. Um, we have to love each other. Very difficult in mixed communities as well. Now that we have a society that is incredibly mixed, okay, that adds a new level of, of complexity to uh, to our unity. Um, and uh, but we'll get on to the we'll, we'll discuss some of the non-negotiables in a minute. But I will on other hands. There are two. Jan, sunny Florida. Yes. 
Um, I was just gonna make a comment about forgiveness um, and that it is, when you forgive somebody, it doesn't really mean they're off the hook. It doesn't mean that they didn't hurt you or something, but um, I think a lot of people fear that nobody will know that you forgave somebody or you more worry about what other people think a lot of times. Um, God, you know, when you think about how God forgave us, it's, it helps it helps to, to be easier to forgive somebody who has maybe hurt you. Um, it's hard not to bring it back up again, but I, I think it's hard. It to is. Forgive but. And that's, I guess, what's why we, we always need A, the Holy Spirit, B, each other. Now, let's remember that in the Lord's Prayer, it's um, forgive us our sins as we forgive. You know, sometimes we actually have to help each other in the action and process of, uh, of forgiveness. But well, and also, I, well, absolutely I was just going to say it is an opportunity, if you think about it, it's an opportunity to model Christ through us when you reconcile with someone. Um, and, and this verse or what we're reading doesn't really say much about how someone might respond to your forgiveness you have to let that go so um yeah we've we've, we've had this discussion in other uh i can't remember whether it was this bible study or some others definitely no rea was there um forgiveness is um has multiple partners to it so um Somebody who's, who's committed uh, a sin and has become aware of their sinfulness or the, the, the action actually can make a confession and a repentance to the Lord. And therefore, by the definition, they are forgiven. Right? I repent, I'm forgiven. That's what God said, right? So, you know, and so they're right. But the person they've offended, well, there's another uh, uh, element of forgiveness, another relationship that needs to be mended. Now, what happens if someone comes and says, I'm seeking your forgiveness. And then the wounded, grieved partner says, no. <laughs> Does that mean that they're not forgiven? Well, they're not forgiven in this part of the relationship, but they're definitely forgiven with the one uh, with with vis-a-vis -vis, uh, heaven and the Lord. And, and so the, the unforgiveness actually hurts the person who's not doing the forgiving. Um, it, it can also hurt uh, the other person as well. That's true, but but um, but it's funny that, uh, that that Jesus says, you know, if you don't forgive, if you don't, if you retain people's sins, they are retained, right? If you, the person, are are, are engaging in unforgiveness, uh, be careful. It's going to eat you up. It's going to destroy you, perhaps, perhaps your family and and uh, and 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 larger into into societies. But uh, here in, in Paul's letter to the Col Colossians, he says, forgive each other. Why? Well, because the Lord forgave you. Like, there's your pattern. And um, so you've got, we've got a great example. We've got a Lord and Master. So we act in, a, in, that, in that vein. All right, uh, Lauren. I just want to go back to something you were saying, Erin, about the um, talking about the things that if something came against you and Teresa was saying as well, that we to go and not speak about it and the control of the tongue and all of those things. 
I agree. However, I also feel that there seems to be a place amongst the community of believers where you can go and confess your faults or your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. Um, I just would like to be able to just give a little personal testimony about this. Once somebody had really said something really, really hurtful. And um, I was in doing a lot of ministry at that time. And I really withdrew because of what had been said. And I went to see a friend of mine from South Africa in the United States, I remember. And uh, I had some speaking engagements in the United States and I'd asked her to actually phone and cancel them all because everything was that deep for me. And when I got to her, she said to me, all right, do you want to talk about it? I said, not yet, but the days went by and finally I said, all right, sit down. And now I'm asking you one thing only, you need to listen and then you need to pray. I don't want your opinion and I don't want your sides in this. I'm confessing and I'm telling you, and then I want you to pray. And I remember for me in that sense, it became very releasing for me. Now, obviously you can't run around and go on and on to everybody about it because then I suppose we're making a meal of it and really it becomes gossip and slander and all of that. But what do you say, Erin, was that, that that's something that's valid? We, of course, because James, as you mentioned, says, uh, confess your sins to one another. So there is this aspect of, uh, of private slash public confession. Um, so, so some traditions do have the confessional. And, you know, and, and other traditions will poo-poo the idea that oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, I actually got a Bible verse that kind of justifies their position. Other traditions have a more public confession where the community gets together and says, hey, everybody, we're about to confess our, our, our sins. We're going to do it very publicly. Um, but they don't sort of name it. But uh, there, uh, you'll, you'll find psychological papers which will give you very good um, arguments as to how it unburdens you to be able to go to somebody whom you've offended and just tell the truth, you know, as that, as the, as Jesus says, the truth sets you free. And so, you know, there, there is a, a massive value to that. Now, when someone does um, ask for forgiveness, what's our response? Paul says, bear each other's burdens, forgive each other. You know, this is, this is real unity. You will reestablish relationship within a community. You'll end up with a, with a community that has once again taken Jesus as Lord and uh, together we'll be able to, to, to share light to the, to the nations. And um, let's remember who he's talking to, right? He's talking to a bunch of filthy, rotten, dirt and sinners just like us, okay? And uh, so he's turning, he's, he's quite, in this case, he's quite gentle, okay? He's, he's very, don't do this and you should be doing this. And this is, uh, this is the, 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 the walk, the halakha. Uh, that is worthy of the Lord. It's very practical. It's not easy. It's communal. Uh, it's got individual elements in it. Yes, absolutely. And it's wrapped up in something called love, right? This which is an action, 
not just an emotion. It's not something you feel, it's something you do, but it binds it all together. It, 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 it puts it together in unity. And so in verse 15, Paul continues and he says, so let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And he's used the word heart quite a bit now, okay, which in Jewish tradition is where your thought and reason is ruled from, right? Um, heart and mind in, in, in Old Hebrew, in Biblical Hebrew, were the same, same place. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to be in one body. So we're not called to be um, individuals, right? So when we're saved, what are, um, what are we saved from? What are we saved to? Well, okay, here's what it's, you can't have. It can't be Jesus knocking on the door where Jesus says, let me in. And the guy says, why? And Jesus says, because I'm going to come and save you. And the guy on the other side says, what from? And Jesus says, well, from me, if you don't let me in. Okay, that can't be the way it works. Okay, there's a your what are we saved from the enemy and uh, the, the curse and all those things that the fall which we describe. And what are we saved to? We're invited into an incredible relationship with the Father uh, through the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And are we doing it by ourselves? No, we're doing it with a group. Right? So here we have the Colossians. Colossians are going to be attached to the Laodiceans. It's a community of uh, rich and poor, slave and free, Jews and Gentiles. And uh, this is us. So we're called together. So let's be thankful. And then let the word of the Messiah dwell in you richly. And then he describes uh, an interesting, some interesting forms of worship. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Okay. Well, here he doesn't say who's doing the teaching or, or even give a series of doctrinal statements. But let's think amongst ourselves. Now, remember, what we're going to say is, is uh, not in the text per se as we read it. It might be in other ones. Um, we can have unity in practice where we can sit and have fellowship together. Uh, you know, Protestants and Catholics can actually sit down and have a meal together. Anglicans and Lutherans, Australians and New Zealanders, even in the name of Jesus, can even do this. Um, but what are some of the non-negotiables? Do you think? At which which point does do you say, well, actually, this I can't have unity on. The doctrine of Christ. If it's there you go. Okay. And what would unpack that for me a bit, Vita? Like. Oh, sorry. <laughs> from my perspective if you're not preaching christ him come in the flesh that he's god he died on the cross to take away our sins and he rose again and he's coming again the fundamentals of our faith which in a sense i think in most of the religions can sum up perhaps the creed or something you know right. something okay. the, this fundamentals of our belief now not things like is it a mid-trib rapture or pre-trib rapture that's not the fundamental but right. the fundamentals of who lord jesus is and what he did for us and the gospel, which yep. it is, that that we cannot negotiate on. Yep. And first, no John, first John 4 says the same thing. First John 4, uh, John writes and he says, listen, um, here's a non-negotiable. If someone says uh, Christ hasn't come in the flesh, they're wrong. Right. You know, if, if someone says Christ hasn't ascended, risen from the dead, they're wrong. He does give a few, a few non-negotiables. You're absolutely right. So there's a few things there. 
that um, but there's a, a large gambit isn't there around that can I add one thing? Today, what I'm noticing is more and more prevalent is this multi-faithism where everybody, everybody has a way to God. You know, everybody's God is the same God, and it doesn't matter which way you worship him. And that is such a falsehood, and it's such a lie. I agree. I agree. Um, particularly from uh, uh, being a, a clergyman, uh, you're often challenged by some other clergy can you believe this, other clergy who would say, oh, all gods, you know, Allah and, and our God are the same. You scratch your head and you go, oh, my gosh, do you honestly really believe this? Um, funny thing is, um, only Christians say that. I've never yet heard a Muslim say that their God's the same as the Christian God, ever. Right? Um, if you find one, I'd like to talk to him about it, but uh, I've never actually physically met one myself. So, Arya, hand raised. Yes, uh, I, I assume that Paul is assuming something here that he writes in his other letters, and that is that that one body is formed not by a doctrinal uniformity, but by one spirit that is shared. We are baptized by the spirit into one body, one, one Christ. The uniformity of faith and belief, even in some important things, can take some time along the way. That's what Paul calls the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It calls us to have a discernment of spirits that most many, many professing Christians are not used to exercising, although scriptural instructions are virtually everywhere, at both to do this and even how to do it. Our first uh, discernment in, in a new relationship is, does this person have the spirit of Christ? You want to unpack that a little bit more or, or leave it at that? Oh, I would. I can leave it at that. Now, you referenced also the instruction as to how to discern the spirits. All, or John says, try the spirits. Yes. There are certain words that can, be, that can come out of a person's mouth that gives an indication there are actions, there is loving kindness that's there or not there. The surest measure of all takes some time, and it comes from the Lord Jesus himself. He says, you'll know them by their fruit. By their fruit, yeah. That takes some time sometimes. Sometimes you, there's an immediate unity in Christ. There's no question about it. Sometimes it takes yeah. a little bit of probing and patience to hear and to think. Perhaps they're just uh, indulging in a little bit of some of their own particular tradition or background, and as, a, as opposed to my tradition or background, which are not really important. The essence is the spirit of Christ, and uh, it should be manifest. Paul, Paul used it even as a doctrinal uh, measuring stone. He says to the Galatians, did you receive the spirit by the hearing of faith or by the works of the law? Yeah. I mean, it, who would think of saying such a thing today? Nobody. Yeah. But the reception of the spirit of the the spirit of Christ is the is the foundation is the one is the one who makes us one body to start with. Yeah. And uh, this is out of many uh, denominations that are struggling over their doctrines these days. And unfortunately, there are a few. Um, uh, it's a bit sad that. Uh, People gather together and you almost have to say at which point did someone lose the spirit of christ here like um how did how did that happen in our community but uh yes we are uh, by first john 4 we're told to test the spirits 
the spirit of Christ is, is, is uh, manifests itself in something that you can visibly see. The fruit of the spirit is something you can see. It is not an esoterical um, Gnostic thing that remains in your head that no one can see, or it is something that is actually um, visible. And that's how you, you test, right? Um, you don't give people an exam. Here's a multiple choice question. Let's see how you do. Um, it's uh, as you journey with people, you can begin to, to see how they react. All right. So the word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Then as, as in terms of uh, forms of worship, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here you have, uh, there are other um, passages that reflect that the early, early community did engage in um, worship that engage, that in, included uh, the, the idea of singing. Although singing isn't something that's unique to Christianity, it is well recorded in Hebrew Bible that they did this as well, including God who sings, by the way. There are pattern verses where it says that God will sing over you, and boy, that's going to be a great sound if anybody ever heard that. So uh, uh, make a joyful noise into the Lord. Um, although if you're someone like me, probably best if you click mute. But, uh, but, but it, it is something that we, we get to do together. And whatever you do, and, and, and here is, this is verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, these are things you say and do, not things you sit and contemplate in your head. Whatever you do, in word and deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is uh, for the sake of, for the loyalty to, on behalf of, for the good of, for his purpose. Uh, giving It is not a magical formula where you just say the words in the name of Jesus and magically things happen. Um, it's, it's not that at all. Uh, and you give thanks to God the Father through him this idea that uh, that the glory is shared the glory is given to jesus who then gives the glory to the father who turns around and gives it back to the son in this sort of mystical union uh, that we call so that's one aspect of the physical walk that is in a manner worthy of the lord here comes another couple and these are relation to how families are supposed to relate in this fallen world so and it's a tough one Oh, Joy, hand raised. I have to find my unmute. Before we leave these verses, to me at least, it's very significant that in 15, 16, and 17, Thanksgiving comes up three times. In 15, it seems like quite a command to me. It says, be thankful. And I personally have found that in situations where forgiveness is required, that disciplining myself to be thankful enables me to move past it. I may not forget the circumstances, but there's the retention of the misunderstanding or hurt is basically addressed. So 15, be thankful. 16, singing with 
grace or thankfulness, depending on version, and then 17, giving thanks to God. So I just wanted to mention that to me, that's very significant. That's excellent, Joy. I did not notice that. That's absolutely brilliant. So uh, it is a great discipline and a good challenge for us all and for anybody who's listening. The discipline to be thankful in all things. And, uh, and if that's, you can get to that point, then, um, then you do well. And, uh, Thankfulness is a choice. So that's where you have a chance to make a hard choice to say, I'm going to continue thinking about this because I'm sure that I was in the right or whatever. And just go, okay, just be thankful. Do something for somebody else. Move forward. Be thankful. You know, God is in control. I absolutely agree, Joy, and so I'm going to ignore, uh, to, to um, not ignore, I'm going to um, disappoint many of the Calvinists, um, where many of the, of the things, that, uh, things in the Bible are choices. Love is a choice, right? You know, you're commanded to love the Lord your God. If love was if just an emotion, then that, that command would make no sense. Right? You're commanded to be thankful. You're commanded to be joyful. You're commanded to be a whole bunch of things. So these are these are these are choices. These are not something that just happened because God willed it. Um, these are this is our participation in the will of the Lord. So thanks for that. That's great. Great discipline to be thankful in all things. All right. So looking at relationships and uh, how households and families and communities are meant to relate. You uh, get these commands uh, where wives submit to husbands, husbands love wives, uh, etc. Uh, children obey parents, fathers you know, be nice to your kids, uh, and slaves obey your masters, etc., etc. Um, they're tough, okay, and um, and 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 there's certainly. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I don't know if there's that many sermons that are preached on this kind of stuff because, you know, half the church will walk out probably. Um, won't say whether they'll be all the men or the women, but, uh, you know, it's... Uh, you know, it, what do you think, guys? The, this is a reflection of um, a calling and a, and a walk where um, um, Paul is saying, this is how we can help heal a broken world. These... these um, family dynamics, these relationships between masters and servants, um, uh, parents and children. Uh, you actually see this reflected in the Hebrew Bible. Is, is uh, Obviously, one of the commandments is to honor your parents. So there is a family dynamic which appears in the, the Ten Commandments. And for those of us that, were, that wrestled with um, the book of Leviticus, best book of the bible then you'll you'll know that from um chapter 19 where this is like the chiastic big one you know where uh, the whole book is like centered around this thing and uh god is saying you now you be holy because i am holy you're going to look like me in the world it's going to be absolutely fantastic then before you get into this litany of laws um about what it means to be holy uh god says now, make sure you observe time, like keep the Sabbath. And then he says, and, and children, obey your parents. So family units, a stable family is linked to holiness. 
And we live in a community, in a society, that has broken down the family unit. We've torn it apart. We don't even know what men and women anymore. So we certainly don't know what husbands and wives are. And uh, we have, so we've broken down something that is the key to holiness. And Paul is here saying, oh my gosh, guys, you want to reflect a, a, a walk that actually looks like the Lord? This is how our family units should behave. This is how our relationships at work should look like. This is how our, our, uh, our, our children should relate to their parents. And if this happened, you would have this, this in some way, it would reflect uh, a light and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, an attraction that non-believers would want to go to. That non-believers would want to turn around and say, I, I, I want what those guys have got. Look at the way their families are behaving. Look at the way their, their, their economical relationships are working. Look at the way their children are relating to their, their, their parents. I'm coming to join them because my side of the table has really messed it up. We don't know how to make things right. We don't even know what right is. So, um, but anyway, so guys, uh, especially, especially any of the married couples or, or uh, people who have been married, um, it's not always easy, is it, to, uh, to put this into practice? Okay. It's not. <laughs> but I don't, think, I don't think there's one command in the Bible that's really easy. Or maybe the one where it says, you know, don't, um, don't uh, uh, pick up a bird if you find it as you walk through the nest, because I've actually never found a bird as I've walked down through the path. So I can pretty much say 100%, I have fulfilled that command by never actually having to actually physically do it. Okay. Um, but this one, I am married. I do have kids. So I've got to have a family that reflects the Lord in, in this. And, uh, and so it's tough, isn't it? Uh, okay. So Andrew has a, um, oh, so let's go down the list. Uh, so Doug says, uh, uh, I, 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 this is, it's funny. Um, I, I'm the head of a household and I have my wife's permission to say so. Okay. That's a good, <laughs> that's a nice meme. That's really funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, these commandments, this is from Andrew, South Africa, uh, these commandments to husband and wife should perhaps not be considered as roles for each, as Ephesians 5.20 actually instructs us to submit one to another. So I should submit to my wife as well. And that would be true. Yes, it would be absolutely true. So Linda? Yeah, the, at my wedding, the... The minister preached on the same verses from Ephesians, and he, and he said, you know, there's many a, a facial expression when you read these passages out. But he said, basically, he, said, he kind of did a little seminar, and he basically summed it up by saying, it's, it's, if we did all of this, it's, it's basically saying, give to the other what's best for them in a, in a marriage relationship, so that you both get what's best for you but in an unselfish way that is almost like an oxymoron isn't it that that, that give what's best for you in an unselfish way <laughs> because in an unselfish way you wouldn't be taking what's best for you so it's a it's a it's very hard isn't it to try and figure out the language to describe these relationships and uh yeah yeah but you said if you give to the your partner what's best for them then right. yeah. they do the same then then you've got You've got something going on. You've got a dialogue. You've got a relationship. You've got yeah. love being exchanged. 
etc., uh, etc. Et and respect. Yep. He said it's both. It, it's based in respect, really. Yep. So, yep. All right. So, uh, um, any any other comments? Oh, Vilma, uh, sunny Ireland. I'm not sure where I heard it, so if it was here and I'm repeating something I heard here, I'm sorry. But what was, I heard recently was that because we're all in the body of Christ, when you disrespect your partner, you're disrespecting somebody that's in the body of Christ and you should think about it then. And that's not a good witness to somebody else that you don't cherish somebody that's a part of Christ, if you know what I mean. It makes you really think about your relationship more seriously rather than that you're just husband and wife, but you're actually part of Christ together. Yep, I agree. So let's think context. Context is king. So in a Roman marriage, Greco-Roman marriage, what would have been the relationships? Any ideas? I will, I, will, I will get to the hands, don't trust me. I've got uh, Lauren and Aria, but I just want to finish this, this thought. So, so Paul is advocating something, but what's the opposite? What's, what's, what's the usual thing? So what would be a typical Roman Greco, Greco-Roman marriage in, the, in, that, in that world? Yeah, I wasn't making a comment without you um, giving me permission. Um, it says here that the, the tradition, or the tradition, the rule in Roman households was for the wife to obey. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. That's yeah, I've it read says. that. Yeah, there was a strong, strong patriarchal uh, presence mm. where um, the men were the senators, the men were the rulers, the men went to the army, etc., uh, etc. Et um, that doesn't say that men, women weren't in business. Some of them were, but men were the, the more dominant uh, role in, in yeah, and so they would would have a well you just obey mm. what's what's paul saying he's saying submit yeah different. that is he's not saying wives yeah. obey your husbands that's a mm. roman thing he's saying wives submit to your husbands very different you know it gets completely against the culture and he's saying uh, it's going to look different from a from a standpoint in like what you actually might physically see might actually look the same thing. In fact, you know, two people doing the same thing, but they're coming from different places, coming from different hearts, they're coming from different expectations, they're coming from different uh, uh, ones obeying a, a human, ones obeying God. There's a two, uh, lots of different things going on here. But Paul is doing something that's very countercultural, right? He's saying, um, like, don't be like those, okay? And uh, this, that is not the way uh, real marriages should work. So, okay, going down, I'll go Lauren, then Arie, Elmarie. Okay, so Lauren, you first. <laughs> We're going to be going on for a long time here. I can see the cat is amongst the pigeons. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you got to wrestle with the text, you may as well. <laughs> but I just wanted to say something interesting that I see. It's wives submit husbands love. And I was just thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. It actually works the other way around, doesn't it? 
he loves us and therefore it becomes our joy to submit. And even though these verses are this way, I'm wondering. So there is the cat. I have tossed the kitty cat. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, the Lord loves us. The Lord, God so loved the world. And then he actually calls us uh, to, uh, to obey and to call him Lord and master and teacher and to teach others to obey. Right? That was that for those that were following the lectionary. Matthew 28 was uh, the reading this weekend where Jesus says, Go baptize and teach people to obey. Right? So you have uh, you do have a, an idea of submitting to the Lord, but the but He loves first. You're right, He loves first, then there is the delight and the uh, and the willingness to submit. Okay, nice. Anyone want to respond to that, or shall we go on to Aria? Well, I can respond to that too. I think actually Jesus says to keep his commandments. Yeah. Obey is maybe a little bit too uh, harsh and inflexible, but we, we keep his commandments. So in Matthew 28, is it teach them to keep his commandments? Is that what it says? I, I believe so. And also in uh, John, the keeping is extensively used to keep to keep his words and to keep his instructions. We hold on to his words and we observe them and we do them, but it's not uh, it's not coerced no i i don't think obedience is is necessarily coerced you can have someone who wants to obey what's well, to do it's to do what he says but it yeah. needs to be with understanding with volition and it needs to be done willingly and joyfully the lord doesn't care if, uh, about people that go kicking and screaming right yeah yeah so yeah, there is as Hebrews 5, we've quoted it so many times at Christ Church, Jesus has become the source of, alt, uh, source of salvation to all who obey him, to all who, who engage in obedience. All right. Uh, El Marie. Um, yes, in Roman Dutch law, women had no rights whatsoever. Their status was the same as that of a slave or a child. And a husband could kill them without uh, any repercussions. And so it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so it's very interesting that when, when this was written, the Jewish readers and the Gentile readers would have understood this entirely differently. Okay. Now, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, um, it, it, because we, we have biblical references where, um, like the daughters of Zelophehad, who, who yes. are yes. allowed to inherit. So you end up with this very strong um, uh, matriarchal presence within the text. Right? Yes, and certain rights were created for them. Correct. Yeah. yeah. You, have, you have female judges, female prophets. Yes. You have... Um, uh, strong female matriarchs, etc. Eshet Chayil, the wife of noble character. Um, yeah, so it is interesting that, and so from from a Jewish perspective, if you're a Jewish believer, then you know that's there's yeah. a different way of looking at this than you might have if you're a Gentile believer coming from a Roman world where your yes. Roman marriage is linked yes. with, well, these, these women don't have voting rights. You know, they don't exactly. They don't tell me what to do. I tell them what to do. Yeah. And then Paul comes along and says, actually, 
you know, women submit and the men are going, great, fantastic. <laughs> wait, 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 guys, you've got to love. Yeah, and, uh, and don't be harsh. And, and, uh, and then, of course, in, in Ephesians, there is the submit to each other, this, this uh, relationship. So um, there's a blending there where, um, uh, which probably was a bit of a shock, perhaps, for some of the Gentile world. Might have been a bit new for them, per se. But they might have had a few Jewish believers to help them along. Vida. I, I agree 100% that marriage and all that is a picture really of the church and of Christ. I, I think that's absolutely brilliant shadow of it. But I also think that isn't these um, passages ultimately coming back to that verse that was a couple of verses before, which is to live in the bonds of peace. Um, okay. And that's what Paul is really writing about within the marriage. You know, everybody submitting and loving and, and so that the marriage is not a... a a battleground and you know this is no it's a, it's a peaceful place where you know the love and the and the fruit can really even abound more within the home yep and because we never walk this walk by ourselves yeah we are in community what's the first community that you actually uh, come to it'll be your family and uh and so that that's uh and that's, and that's why paul Sorry, that's what Paul says when choosing deacons and bishops and that, make sure that they rule their family well. And it's not mean like lording over them, but I think it's right. this, there's this ability for a peaceful, you know, relationship or, uh, you know, a, an environment where the family can have be a, in a good relationship with each other. Yep. Agreed. So uh, we've also got the um, children obeying your parents. Um in everything for this pleases the lord now it's an interesting phrase for paul to say that when children obey the, their parents that pleases god right? um, uh, uh, so in relation to god who would be his children nobody else right? <laughs> so uh, obviously you know children obeying their father would be pleasing to the lord that would make perfect sense but also, there is something about the stability and peace, uh, uh, unity of a society where children are not rebellious. Because in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, you already have um, strong admonitions for parent-child relationships, um, even to the point of, what do you do with a wayward son? Not that they actually did this, but uh, what's the injunction in, in the Bible? Does anyone remember? Stone. Yep, stone them. <laughs> yeah, like get get rid of the bad seed. Okay, it's like who actually did this? And uh, most Jewish commentaries will say well, this, this never happened. But um, but but just to give the uh, the strong emphasis on the power of, of a united family and the tragedy of a disunited family, not just within family structures, but within the society as well, right? Um, which we see in our, uh, in our world. And as uh, Janet says, yes, honoring parents brings long life. It's one of the uh, very few commandments that actually comes along with a deliberate blessing attached to, to this. And um, yeah, so, and uh, as, as Andrew points out, linking in with some of the things that Aria talks about in terms of a fallen world, marriage is as about inter intimacy and unity. It's not necessarily about roles, although, although people do have roles in them, 
There are some things women can do and there are some things men can do. Right? They are slightly different. And so they, so it's not, it's not necessarily about roles, although we each have roles. It is about intimacy and unity within those relationships uh, and roles. And then, of course, knowing that not everybody is equal, right? Now, what I mean by that is, yes, we're all equal before the Lord, but not everybody is exactly the same. So some people have uh, businesses and some people work for people who have businesses. Okay, It's not that everybody has a business. So you have this relationship in, in the socioeconomic realm and uh, servants, bond servants, there were slaves, there were uh, hirelings. How should we actually relate to each other? Well, a believer is meant to relate to his employer differently. He is not meant, he is meant to, he is meant to have a different approach to his, uh, the person who pays him and or the person that, he's, that, he, that he serves. Um, so uh, families are meant to look different. Children are meant to look different. Parents are meant to look different. But so are uh, uh, owners of businesses and slaves uh, slash servants uh, are meant to actually look and behave differently. And Paul even says, you know, don't do this with eye service or lip service, okay? Do it really. Do it with the with actual real sincerity, uh, which is, again, you know, the discipline of thankfulness, the discipline of sincerity, the discipline of uh, of of actually being able to go to work and, and not saying nasty things about your boss, um, whether he deserves it or not. Um, Damaris. Yes, I wanted to say, um, when I worked in the school system, we could always, I could always um, pick out the kids that were Christian or, or Jewish because they did behave differently from the general populace. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but you could tell the difference. There was structure, quite a bit of structure in their lives. But I think the tragedy for those people listening to our um, uh, Zoom today or to uh, later is that there are people who, both Jewish, I talk to Jewish people as well as Christians, who have done the right things. They've, they've led their kids um, in a, a godly way and they've given them instruction. And now as they're older, um, they're finding their children are falling away. And I think there's a tremendous amount of um, inner turmoil and questioning for Christians and Jews who have, have raised their families in a stable, reliable home that's religious in a proper sense. And here they have a society crashing in on their families and uh, they can't seem to stop it. It's like a steamroll. And uh, young people uh, walking away from the faith, uh, but also uh, adapting values that are um, what we now are calling woke and all that kind of thing. And it's, uh, it seems, I would say that um, it's quite a tragedy and I think it's causing a tremendous amount of, of uh, feelings of failure for people who are uh, Jewish and Christian who are finding that happening. Mm. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of good thoughts there. Yeah, um, I don't really know how to respond initially other than to say yeah, I agree with you, Damaris. We're, uh, uh, thanks for that, appreciate that. Uh, Janet, you've got some, you even put some comments in chat, which was uh, quite good. 
can I read it just for just quickly? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes we try to balance and equate things that are not actually inherently that are are actually inherently different. So there are inherent differences that it's, you know, uh, it, it's not the, the modern world's opinion to say, but, you know, I don't care about that. Um, people are different and praise the Lord. And so there is, and, but, but that not a different value necessarily. And so that's always a good thing. So when it, therefore, um, behavior or role can actually be quite important. So within a family unit, we can actually have roles. That doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're uh, roles that, that um, can't be played by another, but they are roles nonetheless, and they have value. And uh, so <clears throat> ladies who stay at home and care for the home are incredibly valuable, and uh, that is a great role, and that should never, ever be diminished, uh, although going off and getting a master's degree in this, that, and the other is also good too. However, it should never be... Um, where someone says all women should go and do this like no we'll be careful with that there's a uh, uh, there's some very valuable lessons and and and, and roles that, that are that are for families so janet continue on with what you want to say um i have to apologize for coming in so late i i'm uh, <laughs> i'm in the right time zone but not at the right time anyhow um I was just re responding to Damaris, but maybe to a lot of other people, that we have pictures in scripture of very good parents who are what we would say, well, what was wrong with the, the father of the prodigal son right. who, who did things right? Um, and, then, and then and there's lots in the Psalms, like why do the righteous suffer and the wicked are, are just dancing along? And Job is also a picture, although not of, his children, but of, of a righteous man who suffers incredibly. And so do we expect this in, in the Christian life? Um, is there more pushback sometimes from the enemy against our children? I don't know. I don't have an answer. But I know that there are promises in Scripture for our children, and those are what we would focus on, although it, it's terribly, terribly difficult for Many parents, and I think we've come into a time where um, the spirit of the time is much more rebellious overall. Um, just, just generally, that spirit of rebellion and our children are exposed to things and the authority of the parent is, is quite diminished in some societies where the, the school or the state or the doctor has, is able to make decisions that in the past the parents would have been aware of. So there's a sense children feeling, well, it's my right to do this because people are telling me it's my right and I don't have to follow my parents' way. In fact, I shouldn't. I should be. Anyway, that's just a comment. No, it's a good comment. Thank you. And I uh, would agree that uh, we have a, in our society that we see we have a breakdown in family values. And uh, particularly in the way children are, are allowed to do things without their parents' consent. I think it's a very dangerous, very dangerous uh, place to be in and definitely unbiblical. Uh, Kate? Yes, I mean, we're discuss discussing the Bible and, and the values of Jesus Christ. And 
um, the last comments were made, and I, I mean, I think we all feel this is happening. And um, wasn't it part of Marx and Maoism where the first thing they destroyed was the family? Um, part of that is, and so is wokeism like the modern Marxism. You, if you destroy the family, you, you're you're destroying the church. You're destroying God's church in a way. Um, it's like targeting the, the weakest point in a family. You can reach children in all sorts of ways, and we are falling for it in a way. We're letting it happen. I I, I would say that you know ultimately, of course, we have an enemy. And yes. so he's coming that's, against the thing that God has created. That's who I was talking about. Yes. It's the enemy. And therefore we have to we have to react. And Paul is urging us, okay, in this fallen world, yes. this is how we have to respond. We have to respond as 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 family, as husbands, as wives, as parents, as children, as workers, as uh, as slaves and as masters, in reflecting something that goes beyond culture, beyond our 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 base emotions, beyond our own desires and what we want to do, but actually to turn around and and uh, do the opposite, perhaps what we would actually want to do, because uh, as as Paul says, right, says uh, verse twenty three. Whatever you do, right? Do it for the Lord, right? It can be anything, right? Uh, milking a cow, serving your boss, uh, raising children, whatever, okay? Um, uh, do it for the Lord, not for people, okay? We're not, we're, 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 we've gone beyond the earthly realm. You're still in the earthly realm, still doing these things in the earthly realm, but the king is, uh, is that you're serving is higher, and um, because you are serving the Lord, right? the Lord Christ. Um, and then just so we, we know that there still is a judge. And as we've, we've seen before, God's wrath is currently working against this, the, the spirit of Antichrist or the, these vices and, 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 and things. It says the wrongdoer will be paid back. Okay, you reap what you sow. There are consequences to actions. These things actually um, eventually uh, come about. And because God says there's no partiality, he, he'll judge everybody. Okay? Um, believer, non-believer, slave, free, rich, poor, Jews, Gentiles, the lot. Everyone reaps what they sow. There's, um, uh, it, it comes to us all. Um, does that put the fear of God in people? Uh, healthy fear perhaps i don't know um but that's uh, the admonition by our brother right there. all right any last comments on paul's call for purity and to the for us as families as individuals as husbands wives as children and as workers to live a life that is worthy of a walk of the lord right? it's a very high calling is it not but uh, uh, again, encourage each other, walk with each other, um, and when we fall, let's pick each other up. Let's, uh, uh, you know, and um, and and have unity. Yeah, that are very that are in, that's an action. Right? These are these are things that that we physically can do for each other. Uh, comment there by Lauren. Yeah, and I was just thinking about how this scripture, verse twenty-one. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That's an interesting thing for me. There's, there's no mothers, do not overlove your children or <laughs> mollycoddle them or you know, right. your mothers have their things too. But fathers, do not provoke your children. And I'm just thinking you were talking about the Jewish side of things. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment or which it's not the first, but it's one of the commandments. And the New Testament is carried through as well. Is this perhaps where you see the uh, extreme of that when if the Jewish or the Muslim even come to know the Lord, it is the fathers who will cut them off and uh, send them away or even in some of the society, well, we know in which society, but the where um, the, the men of that society would actually take vengeance on, oh, I don't want to even say vengeance, not even the right word, but in their understanding, they would cut off exile, put on uh, death notices for the ones who within their own family would receive the Lord. I can this speak from now. personal experience that uh, I know people where that's happened. Yeah. Um, for those that might remember a couple of years ago, uh, uh, a Muslim lady from Hebron became a believer in Jesus and her father beat her nearly to death. Right? And do, you, do you remember that? Remember we, we then sheltered her up? Yeah, you remember her? Yeah. So, so Lauren, we, we know we can vouch firsthand that uh, we have experienced this. It's true. And, uh, and perhaps this, there is a call, particularly here for fathers, um, to be very careful as, in, as, as we are dis disciplining our children, not to cause them to actually run away from the faith. It's a tough one, isn't it? Right? You don't want to, it's a, it's a tough one. But, uh, but here, here we're talking about um, terms of like the believing family, but conversely, in context, we see what happens in the non-believing families. And, uh, and, they, and they have a, a, a strong role, which can be quite, um, violent in some in some cases but here we we want to make sure that we um, are keeping our children close to the faith not pushing them away it's a tough one it's tough and again and for, so especially for those who are new parents okay you read these verses and you scratch your head and you go now now i don't know what i'm supposed to do <laughs> okay yeah uh, how, how do i what, what what do i what do i need to do so um what we what we don't want to do is we want to discourage our children that there's no hope that there's no redemption that there's no forgiveness that they're not loved that that there's no God sitting in heaven. Um, uh, these uh, we want to do the exact opposite of all of those things and, and, and embrace our children to walk the walk too to say to say come come and follow me as I follow the Lord. So so come and come and follow let me follow Jesus as Jesus has followed followed the father. Right. Aaron, I'm sorry, I'm just going to add one no, other thing there. I'm sorry, lady, I didn't yeah. put my hand up. But um, this is possibly in this season then a very deep call to the reality of the ending of the Old Testament where he says that the the fathers, the spirit of Elijah must come to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers lest I smite the land with a curse. And it's not 
even though we need leaders, we need fathering leaders and mothering. And I'm thinking of the scriptures where it says, teach the younger ones and father them and mother them. So, and I just... There is definitely the prophetic call. Do you remember? There's that Malachi where that that verse is. Um, There is a definite prophetic call where uh, that that the Elijah character does do something amongst uh, the, the, the patriarchal lines who then turn around and, and take up a role that they've been given. And, uh, and Andrew has a comment too, which is also true, that should our children deviate from their walk with the Lord, which does happen, then let's not cut them off, but continue to affirm them and remind them of their value and love. So that doesn't mean that we uh say that their behavior is appropriate that's but we also should say that they're not cut off from the family and and then have no hope of uh, of returning because that's from what did the uh what did the father do for the prodigal son he ran out to welcome him uh him back so uh yes the, the real good role of a father figure is uh and has a prophetic role particularly in the future which would be now all right, as, as the Father has poured out his spirit on all flesh. Okay, guys. Well, blessings. Thank you for a great study. Um, next week, we're normal time, and uh, we'll continue on with Chapter 4. Have a great Sabbath, whatever it is that you do, and good, good worship time. Find yourselves in a church or a community. Right? Don't give up the habit of meeting together very very important and uh and if you can't do it in person there are a lot of good zoom opportunities just so you all know i'm involved in a few of them during the week um so brothers and sisters have a good a good uh good week